This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. It's the Manage Smarter Podcast, everyone. Welcome. I'm Audrey Strong, the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And you know, Lee, it's important to keep trying to sell in these conditions. Well, it absolutely is. And these are the times that really separate then the good salespeople from the pretenders, the people that can basically just go out and take orders. And anybody can do that you know, to some extent, you know, when the economy is booming and roaring and everything like that. But when it's slow, that's who you find out who your real salespeople are. Absolutely. And that's Celie Smith, the CEO of Sales Fuel. And our guest today, Tom Pisello, thought leader and author on sales and marketing effectiveness, serial entrepreneur. I love that description. Well known from his podcast videos, blog posts, and newsletter as the ROI guy and the founder of the Evolved Selling Institute and chief evangelist for Mediafly. That's a leading sales enablement solution provider. Hi, Tom. Hi, Audrey. Great to meet you guys. Yes, virtually. And so uh, how do you get ROI in these conditions and how do you keep selling? We want to hear some of your top tips for managers and also in managing teams. Yeah, I think Lee said it best in that, uh, you know, I've got a saying, quotas don't sleep. You know, even though we may be right in the middle of a crisis and ready to go into perhaps a a big economic hangover from the shock, um, the quotas that you and your sales team have are not exactly going to be put on hold. Uh, the whole team, the whole company is going to be counting on you to break through these tough times, these tough conditions, and get those sales that can be had. And even though you might be getting perhaps a little bit of quota relief, there's only so much the company can give you mm-hmm. before you as a seller don't pay for yourself in, in the organization, right? It's also the time then, too, if you really want to establish yourself as one of the top sellers on the team, is to actually find ways to make sales happen when others can't do it. Exactly. So I've got it. Definitely don't look at the negative. We need to look at the positive and the opportunities in this, right? Uh, As a sales manager, I think one of the first things we've got to do is sellers will not be able to meet with customers face-to-face, right? Everyone is working from home now. And even when those kind of work-from-home restrictions uh, are alleviated, there's still going to be a lot of travel restrictions that are in place. And the old handshake and look someone in the eye and perhaps hand them a data sheet, uh, put up a presentation, uh, maybe whiteboard collaboratively with them, that, that won't exist for a while. And even if it does, even if you do get those rare opportunities, and I do encourage those that can get out once we have the restrictions to try to get out there and meet face-to-face because it will be a differentiator, but most of us are going to be stuck selling remotely. And we've got some customers that I know that still rely on data sheets. They're consumer product companies. They print data sheets. They hand them to the company. They print out a printed uh, presentation. They hand those to the company. And that just won't fly in these conditions. Other organizations, they've got these big 150-page monolithic presentation decks. They present linearly to customers. Think about that when you've got to sell online now in a meeting and you're putting up a big deck and maybe you've parsed it down to 30 slides or 40 slides, but online meetings, it's short attention span theater, right? So for those companies that are still in the basic mode, you know, you've got to go digital. You've got to get the paper. 
and put it into a sales enablement system and be able to present interactively with those documents online and then be able to package those up and deliver them just like you deliver a package when you're leaving a meeting, deliver a collection of the digital content to the customer when you're leaving the meeting. And then for those that are using and relying a lot on presentations, you almost need to rethink those presentations. Mm -hmm. What it takes to keep someone engaged online is quite different. And it has to be very visually appealing. It's got to grab their attention right away. It's got to be about little stories, what I like to call vignettes, not a big monolithic linear presentation, but little stories that you can pivot to. So as a sales manager, you kind of have to teach your sellers to piece together these little mini presentations and have them on the ready and then be able to jump into those little mini stories. And then in that mode as well, being able to basically share those um, collections, uh, the mini stories as a whole presentation when you're leaving and then being able to track that it's actually consumed with the prospect and they're using it and sharing it is going to become very important because we won't have that visibility to know that everyone in the room got a copy and that you've left a copy with them and that it's being shared effectively. So I think the first mantra that I've got is you've got to make sure that you can sell remotely as well as you did in person. And the best way then for the sales manager, I believe, to teach uh, these little stories and sharing those little stories is to demonstrate it themselves. So if you have a, a sales manager who likes to drone on for, for, for 10 minutes at a time without taking a breath or whatever, that's not exactly the kind of behavior that we're modeling for the sales team. Exactly. And I think that the ability to be empathetic and be a good listener at this time is actually a much better skill than being a good presenter. Mm -hmm. So making sure that you're still having that conversation, it's two-way, you're doing plenty of ample discovery during the process, and you're not just loading up a deck and walking through it in that presentation. I think making those interactions uh, interactive and very much customer-focused is going to be essential. And you said too that value selling to get around risk aversion, tighten budgets, or even total spending freezes within organizations, that's a tall order. How do you navigate that and actually get somebody to open the purse strings right now? Yeah, and that's number two of my mantra in kind of selling in these hard times is you need to justify purchases to a more risk averse and frugal customers. I call this environment that we're in frugalnomics. And, uh, you know, buyers are uh, as cold as ice. You guys are, I think, in my generation. So you remember that old song by Foreigner? Sure. Um, yes. yes. <laughs> we're willing to sacrifice our love. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, there's a lot of sacrifices going on and you want to make sure you're not that sacrificial lamb that when it comes to the budget. So customer budgets are going to tighten up and, and buyers are going to be very cautious. Their jobs are on the line. They've been told to hold the line on spending. There could be spending freezes on in that organization. And to get your proposal to the top of the heap, it has to have a solid business case. The numbers matter. And what do we mean by that? Well, you've got to prove be able to communicate and quantify the value that your solution is going to deliver to the organization. And it's not just this hypothetical value. It's got to be real business outcomes that the buyer is going to achieve by implementing your solution. And what we try to teach sellers to look for is first and foremost in these tough times are going to be ways that you can help the customer reduce cost. 
right? How do you reduce cost of the overall solution uh, of the overall environment with your solution? So are there legacy costs that they can avoid? Perhaps replacing a costly solution that has a high total cost of ownership. Uh, perhaps you can help them to avoid spending on an upgrade that is going to be mandated or perhaps reduce high service and maintenance cost on the solution. The second area is the customer is going to be forced to do more with less, right? They're going to have less resources. They might have gone through a riff or two, and you've got to get the most productivity out of your people as you possibly can, and you've got to streamline and maybe automate, digitize the processes within the organization. So the second area to look for for value is overall reduction in uh, wasted resources, uh, productivity gains, and process improvements. Third is risk. All of these organizations have business risks. There's security risks, downtime risk. There's business risk that they're trying to overcome. So how can you reduce the risk? And then the fourth area that we tell sellers to look for value is one that you've got to be a little bit careful with, which is growth, right? Business growth. And there's not a lot of growth opportunities out there. But if you're able to help a company perhaps identify and achieve a unique growth area, that could be something to hit on as well. But what we're teaching sellers now is to pivot a little bit more towards the very tangible savings like cost savings and productivity improvements and stay away from the less kind of tangible value of risk aversion and business growth. And Audrey and Lee, what we encourage the sellers to do is proactively work with customers to calculate for them what the current cost of doing nothing is with the legacy solution and the legacy people and the legacy processes. The number one objection. Yep. And then what will your solution uniquely do to help to improve that environment? And then codify that into a business case. And here's the key, proactively deliver it. Your buyers are not going to be asking for the business case. However, there isn't a CFO out there that's going to approve a project right now without a solid financial justification with it. And so you've got to arm your champion, your mobilizer within the organization to be able to deliver that business case upwards in the organization for this to even have a chance of going through with regards to your proposal. So for the salespeople that also manage their own accounts, and what's your advice then as far as client retention? Because it's really important to hold on to what you got as well as to add to that. Great, great add on there. And this doesn't, it's not just new accounts that we're talking about. It's retaining existing accounts. Exactly. And for those accounts, uh, and I've just implemented a new model for even our own sales team at Mediafly, is a realized ROI model or a realized value model. What we do and what we have other clients doing is a best practice is following suit to what we've done is go in and assess exactly how much value has been delivered. Now that's going to require you to go in and work with a customer ahead of the QBR or as part of the quarterly business review to collect metrics, uh, observable metrics that you've impacted within the organization. Maybe how, much, how many help desk calls you've reduced or how much time you've helped avoid in a certain and then quantifying the value that you've delivered, and then compare that against the cost of your annual recurring license or subscription so that you're tallying up, here's the value we delivered, and look, we're only costing you this much a year. And again, you've got to proactively do that. If you think you're going to get that renewal, just like you've done every other year within an organization, 
there's going to be some rude uh, cancellations and there, customer is, churn that comes this up. This is not just like every other year. No, it's not. This is this is definitely a different time. It's a frugal time. Frugalnomics is in full effect. And you've got to proactively go in and deliver the realized ROI. Now, there's another thing that we um, teach our customers to do and, and that we do as well. Not only do you show the ROI that you've delivered, but invariably within the organization, for example, let's say you license the company for 200 licenses to your product. Invariably, there's not going to be 200 active users, right? There's going to be some gap in between how many you've licensed and ultimately how many are actively using the solution to its best purpose. In fact, in many times, we'll look at the reports that different sellers are, are generating and we'll see that there's like a 50% adoption rate, maybe sometimes a 20% adoption rate. Now, when we look at the value that's being delivered, it's still really positive, but there's a gap there. And without spending another dollar, your champion, if they just worked on adoption, could perhaps get another million or two million in annual benefits from the subscription of your product just by working on that. And so one of the things that we do is we get a model built that lets the seller not just tally the realized ROI, but the potential ROI from additional adoption, taking advantage of the licenses that have already been purchased, not selling them one extra dollar worth of product, but here, just if you get another N amount of adoption for every user that adopts it, maybe it's another 50,000 of incremental value a year, then you've proven even more value to that customer. Tom, it's really and then after that, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's really important there too because you're at risk of having the customer say, hey, wait a minute, it's like I've got 200 seats and I'm only using 100, so it's like I'd like to lop off 100 seats. Yeah, exactly. And so they may say, look, uh, you know, in, in certain accounts, hey, if they only are using 20 seats, they may lop off the whole license. But you can normally you can prove that even those 20 seats are generating incredible value. And then, like you said, if you can do the 100 seats uh, versus the 200 that are licensed, you can assure that you're not getting that headcount or license reduction uh, within the accounts, which is essential. And then from there, you can certainly do a, another business case on an upsell or a cross sell of additional users, maybe within other groups, maybe additional capabilities that you have available. Um, but that's the cadence that these QBRs have to move from. Instead of going in and talking about um, maybe just the adoption, now you have to pivot it to say, okay, we're working on adoption, but it's really value that we're here to make sure we deliver. And proving that value proactively on the recurring revenue is going to be essential. What does it mean when you say also um, selling in this climate, you want to offer a way to help your clients improve predictability? What does that mean? Yeah, so when times get tough like this, let's take, for example, the sales manager. How are they going to accurately know what sales that are forecasted are actually going to close? I think that's going to be an incredible challenge for sales leaders and sales managers coming up. And if you aren't automatically recording what's going on with the account um, or forcing your salespeople to manually record it, if you don't know who's being engaged at the accounts, what they're consuming after the meetings, if you don't have a lot of visibility other than maybe a little note that the seller is making in Salesforce or anecdotes that they're delivering to you ad hoc during a uh, forecast review meeting that you're doing with them every week. You need real visibility into what's going on in the, that account. So what meetings are occurring? What content and um, 
deliverables are being shared with that customer. When they're shared, who within the account is consuming them? Another important metric, how many people within that account are engaged? who is getting that content and who is sharing it and consuming it within that organization. Having real visibility into the account will let you forecast and give the visibility that the organization is going to need. And the old measures that the sellers have used to know whether an account was at stage one or stage two or stage three, those are kind of out the door. Um, you're going to need to have real visibility in what's going on in that account and kind of reset the seller's expectations in terms of stages and make sure they're doing some of these things that we spoke of before, like the collaborative sessions, like sharing the content with the users, like delivering a business case proactively. And if those things aren't being done, those accounts will have uh, less, much less likelihood to close than um, you might think. And technology and tracking and really vet their forecasts a lot more because they're going to be asked every day of every week, how's it going? Are we tracking? How much are we falling off? Because everyone is so uncertain about this environment, the executives are going to be putting their thumb on the chief commercial officers, chief revenue officers are going to be putting their thumb on the managers, thumb on the seller, and there's going to be a lot of pressure. And this is a way to um, true up and firm up the um, trust and uh, ability to accurately forecast at the same time, hopefully taking some of that daily pressure off by providing that visibility upward in the organization. You mentioned uh -huh. points of contact, you know, only having a single point of contact can really come back to bite you during times like this, because if only one person in the organization is getting value, you know, that's only one no vote that's required, you know, to, to actually be bad news for you, right? Correct. And then the other thing that we're finding is, unfortunately, if there's only one or two contacts, did those contacts let, get, let go? Did mm -hmm. they get reorganized? Um, do they even have all the time they can give you to, to make that purchase decision? Um, so there's a good reason now more than ever to have more um, engagement within every account and make sure you've got multiple stakeholders that you're appealing to and then collectively making sure that they're all um, each with a unique point of value that you're going to deliver to them, but that they're all on board for this being a positive for the organization. And I think it's going to take that, that committee convincing um, to, first of all, making sure everyone's engaged on the committee, everyone's facilitated to make a good purchase decision, and then everyone has their point of values met so that they can uh, give the checkbox. Um, we know that it still might get held up by the CFO, but if you've got everyone on board across multiple groups, you're going to stand a much better chance of getting that proposal approved. I love it. What great tips. Evolve Selling is your website, Tom. And T. Pacello is your Twitter. You like to tweet? I do. I, I like I do. it. Twitter's yeah. wild. <laughs> yeah, about once or twice a day. And usually it's, it's around content. Um, we are very much a research-driven resource uh, Just like at, at Evolve Selling, absolutely. And so whenever there's an interesting piece of research that's published by a third party or we have proprietary research that we gather and publish as well or, or unique insights, try to get it out there for the community so that they can learn and improve on their journey. We call it the Evolve Selling journey. And we're really trying to provide a roadmap and tips and tricks and a community of folks to kind of help you along that journey. Yeah, so follow Tom on Twitter. And uh, any last thoughts before we close out, Tom? 
Uh, no, just I think remembering these kind of three elements in in addressing the quota don't sleep will I think help you have a plan so that there's less panic and more purpose uh, to what you're doing. So just to recap, you know, remote selling as if you would sell in person and enabling that capability, the need to justify to a frugal set of customers, and then the need to improve visibility and clarity into the forecast and uh, ultimately the content and the investment that's being made so that you can optimize your sales process in this time, prove out that the new campaigns you're doing are running and that you've got the forecast that the organization can count on. Fantastic. Well, there it is, everybody. You got your marching orders from Mr. Pacello. All good stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Audrey. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Audrey. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.